0: Hey guys, thank you for listening. This is Daryl with a quick message before today's show. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. So on Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, The Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way, whichever way you like. Join the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with a heart-pumping playlist from LLS. Join LLS on June 13th from coast to coast as they come together to climb, conquer, Cure. Register at LLS.org slash Big Climb. The link will be in the show notes. <laughs> Hello. Hello oh, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who loves answering listener questions. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello.
1: Hello, I genuinely do. That is an honest uh, interpreter, an honest introduction. Well done, sir. Even when they're going to ask you to predict what's going to happen in 2026? Especially so. I'm just sad we didn't get one about 2030. That would have been even better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> even when they make you explain yourself for not calling Kalo Navas the best player in CONCACAF? Yeah,
1: even then even then i'm still annoyed <laughs> myself for not mentioning that i had him on my list but that still wouldn't have been the best player so i don't think it counts
0: i have yet to see such lists, so i can't confirm that such list <laughs> exists we will get to those listener questions soon enough uh but first we've not been talking about a thing on the total soccer show the mm-hmm. big thing that's been happening in the united states lately because we try to not usually focus on non-soccer things right um but the, the George Floyd protests that are happening right now are too big not to talk about it. So we want to acknowledge what is happening and let
1: everybody know where we stand. Fair to say, Taylor? That is very much fair to say. And I mean, yeah, we haven't yet talked about it. So I'm excited that we are. And I, I think the biggest thing to say is that Black Lives Matter. Like that is, yes. that is the first thing we want to say up front.
0: Um, luckily, we are very much on the same page here, right? There's no negotiating yes. hat to happen. This is the Total Soccer Show stance. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. Police brutality is real. Police brutality has been real for way too long. It's unacceptable and it's time for it to change. That's the total soccer show stance. Um, I've seen a lot of, I think the word you used was uh, milk toast. Yes. Um, takes from, I, I would include US soccer in this, just like general racism is bad type yeah. takes. I think everything needs to go a step further and absolutely make clear black lives matter. Police brutality is real. Police brutality needs to stop
1: and I, I think the washington wizards might be the only franchise i've seen that put out a statement like that like they did put out they they put out four stills with text on them that they said roughly that and that was the strongest message i've seen from an organization um and and i think that that does need to change you're absolutely right it does need to be more vocal and more direct and less concerned about what the ramifications might be for commenting on a situation that is very much in need of commentary
0: yeah it's stop it's time to stop being risk averse yes. and just get out there and Be vocal and make clear um, that this is, this is reality. This is what's happening. It's been happening too long and it's time for it to change. I really think maybe, maybe what's going to happen is maybe we get legislation at a, uh, eventually at a federal or state or city level that changes the way um, that, that black communities are policed. that might, be, that might be a long-term thing. In the short or medium term, maybe we can get a change in the conversation, right, where we yeah. can start demanding those things unequivocally.
1: I hope so. And I think we're going to talk about Weston McKinney up front and the stance he's taken yes. the stance he plans to continue to take. And, and I feel heartened by him. Uh, we were at the protest tonight and I feel heartened by the young people who were there because like, we're, yes. we're young-ish, but they're, like, hearing young people be very angry and not have time for politicians made me very heartened to know that there are people out there who are angry and don't want the status quo and aren't going to let us return to the status quo. And it does feel like now is the time and the momentum is there. I don't know how that slows down and I don't think it does. And I certainly hope it doesn't either. So yeah, we I saw think
0: people in our city not accept a weak ass apology no. from the mayor um, yeah. and demand more, right? Demand things like um, a citizens review board, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a, a big thing where um, citizens would have some oversight and would be able to um, exercise some oversight on the aftermath of police brutality and hopefully not even get into that stage to begin with. Basically exercise some oversight on the way that the police um, uh, acts towards black communities.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it was telling the way the crowd sort of responded to, to the mayor than the way like some young activists were able to like, clearly and concisely convey their message. Whereas I felt like our mayor didn't really have a plan and kind of thought, I'll just show up and say, I'm sorry, and that will be enough. And maybe that would have been yes. enough in the past. But I think it is no longer enough to simply say, hey, sorry about that. But you know, what can you do? It's, it's wrong. It's totally wrong. All right, I'm out of here. Like, it, it was not it was not the strong statement that I think the crowd was looking for. And I think there will be other people in the future who will make that strong statement.
0: And there is a soccer connection here because yep. soccer players are speaking out. And one of those players is Weston McKennie. who it's easy yep. to forget he's only 21 years old because we've been watching him play for Schalke since he was a teenager. But most people who watched the Bundesliga this past weekend will have noticed Weston McKinney was wearing an armband that said justice for George on it. Um, and that's impressive enough, right, that he's willing to to take a stance in that way. But there's also apparently he was told to take it off. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I'm not taking it off. Um, um, The quote afterwards from Western McKenna, he gave this quote to Forbes, uh, was that there's a rule in the league that you can't make political statements. But I mean, if you really, really look at this as a political statement, then I don't know what to tell you. That yeah. is the type of thing I am looking for athletes to say. Um I also I love McKenney calling out the hypocrisy of the Bundesliga um always preaches this is his quote they preach say no to racism so I didn't think that there would be a problem if I have to take the consequences to express my opinion to express my feelings to stand up for what I believe in then that's something that I have to do. Um I do know Taylor that FIFA have advised the Bundesliga and other leagues uh to maybe ease up on the uh the total ban on quote unquote politics. Um- in this case, and I take that as an example of this whole thing moving forward, where mm-hmm. just making clear that police should not be murdering black people should not be a political statement; it should just be uh, an obvious and simple statement.
1: Yeah, but but absolutely, I agree with that. And then I would add that it also—I think—you're absolutely right—that it shows maybe where we're heading, or where I hope we're heading at least. That I do think in the past, an organization like FIFA, with the history it has and the bureaucracy it has, would have sort of been like, "All right, well, you know, just do business as usual, do what you usually do." Like this is going to blow over, whatever. And that... FIFA felt the need to say something and yes. I felt like it was a the correct thing to say to me shows that there are sort of wide-reaching ramifications and there is maybe a creeping awareness that it is not business as usual it has to change the messaging has to change the sort of uh, willingness to take a stance has to, take, to, has to change because these
0: protests are getting global attention yeah. right? And, uh, they, and they keep going because these protests have been going for several days now um, and I would argue that we keep these protests big we keep these protests as peaceful as they can be um, we keep the attention up and it, it can have some sort of effect
1: yeah it absolutely can and I, and I hope it will and I hope they continue on until something changes that's, that's a point that's been made as we had uh, lots of there, was, there were riots there were protests in the, in the 60s right? That's the, that's the tweet that keeps going around like, yeah. and then on the 6th day or 7th day they pass the Civil Rights uh, Act I don't think we're going to get that uh, but I hope we get some action and I hope we get yeah. the, the message continuing the movement continuing and I absolutely believe uh, that we will
0: yeah. One final thing I'd just like to say to people is don't lose hope just because no. of the current administration. That can change if you get out and vote. But you can also enact change at the state level, at the city level and at your local police department level. Right. So change is possible, even if it doesn't feel like it when you see uh, you know who. Um, before, before the cameras. Um, yeah. More uh, protest talk later because there's a listener question about famous soccer player protests. But if you're ready, Taylor, I'm ready to move on to answer some listener questions. I certainly am, my friend. All right. Today's first question comes from Randy Morgan. Randy Morgan wants to know, it's the question i mentioned at the top of the show, Taylor. Do you think the US men's national team could have a realistic chance of winning the 2026 World Cup on home soil? Not necessarily that they would be favourites. I love that Randy's so optimistic that he feels like he has to rule that out. Um, but an outside chance like Croatia or Belgium in 2018. So Belgium made the semis and lost to France. Croatia, I know, made the final because they beat England in the semis. France won the 2018 World Cup. Um, so what do you think, Taylor? Is there a realistic chance of the US having an outside shot at the 2026 World Cup on home soil?
1: Um, Right now, my answer is probably not, but I think the thing that we've learned uh, from the first time we started doing roster projections about the next World Cup as soon as the current World Cup is over, we don't really have have any idea what's going to happen four years from now, let alone six years from now or what have you, so like, I think... It's it's possible. I don't think so where we are right now. I think it requires a lot of players making a jump. And if some of those make the jump to that sort of world class elite level, then yeah, I say there's a comparison to be made with, say, Croatia, but it requires the whole pool, maybe moving up one rung for sure.
0: Yeah, so yeah, I did, I did, I think the similar thing to what you would have done, which is to go and look at the squads of like the top, top teams and also at Belgium and Croatia in 2018, right? So here's my take. If you look at Germany, France, Italy, Brazil, you know, like the top, the top tier teams, they have just, they have players they leave off the roster who are playing yeah. for top level, um, top five league teams, right? They are like just soaked with those, those, lev- that level of player, right? Um, when you look at Belgium and Croatia, specifically the 2018 World Cup squad, Belgium had 11 Premier League regulars, including players at Chelsea, Spurs, Man City, Man United. They had other players at Barcelona, PSG, Napoli, and Dortmund. Um, Croatia had defenders at Atletico Madrid and Liverpool, midfielders at Barcelona, Real Madrid more than one, and Inter, and they had a striker in Mandzukic at Juventus, right? So really, I think Croatia's maybe the slightly lower level of Croatia-Belgium. That would be the type of level we're going to have to get to. And if you look at the current sort of golden crop of U.S. men's national team players, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, all those guys will be 27 in 2026, which I'm guessing is where Randy's enthusiasm comes from. Do we think those players will be playing for Barcelona, Real Madrid or top level Premier League teams? It's possible, but it's not guaranteed, is it?
1: No, it's not. I mean, one of them already is. We should note that. Christian Pulisic is yes. already with Chelsea. Um We know, you didn't mention him, uh, but we know Serginho Dest is heavily rumored with either Bayern Munich or Barcelona. So yes. we could see some players make that jump. Tyler Adams, like, I, this is, I don't mean for this to be like a cliche to take, but it is where my concern is right now, is that like... We're like on the verge of injury-prone, in my mind, with Tyler Adams. And that, yeah. that always makes me slightly anxious that if it continues to be that way, that maybe he doesn't make that jump that we would need him to make to be a regular first-team starter for Leipzig or another larger team. But I, I have faith in him to do so because I have faith in Tyler Adams because I think he's really good.
0: I agree. So Tyler Adams is only 21, and he has mm-hmm. six years to make a leap from Leipzig, who are like a real top-end but not quite the very best Bundesliga team. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible that Tyler Adams is playing for a really high-end team in six years' time, right? He's already there at Chelsea. McKennie, I would say there are question marks about how high he can go. I don't think we'll know until he gets the move away from Schalke and plays for a team that isn't terrible, essentially. Yeah.
1: I agree with you on McKinney. (laughs) I would add with Tyler Adams, though, that that, that's a Leipzig team that when I talked with Manuel Vets about them, it's worth remembering that they are ahead of schedule in what their overall plan was for where they wanted to be. And there's also a decent chance that if he stays with Leipzig, they do become one of those teams. They're still involved in the Champions League right now, if and when that resumes. And we would expect them to continue to spend money to stay there, even if they do lose players. So even if he stays with Leipzig, it could well be that he is in that sort of top, top tier, even if Leipzig aren't there quite yet right now.
0: All right, and we, you mentioned Serginho Dest as well, yes. right? So that gives us like four players who mm-hmm. we could think might be at really top teams, right? After that, yeah. there's a lot of players we're just hoping can do it right? Like, Richie Ledesma hasn't made a first-team debut yet. We don't know where he goes, we, so we can't really project like, that Richie Ledesma is going to be some sort of Premier League or La Liga player because he has, hasn't even played in their Eredivisie yet. There are guys we're excited about, right? Like, Chris Gloucester, Ulysses Yanez. All of these guys have not yet made professional debuts.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and that's where I think that that's the difficult part of the question, right? Is knowing yes. who can make that jump because we've got a lot of guys who are young. I mean, there are people on the list who, like, Alex Mendez is going to be 25 years old, I think, <laughs> for the 2026 World Cup. And we just can't really say for sure how he'll develop and what that jump will be, but we can hope that it ends up happening. My yeah. larger issue right now is this, the attacking options. Like, I, I love our potential wingers in, say, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Timothy Wea. The strikers is as always an issue and I think when you look at teams that end up being like the dark horse candidates for the World Cup or tend to make a deep run in the World Cup often they have either a sort of talismanic like world class striker like Didier Drogba can kind of do that job for Ivory Coast you're always going to be afraid to play not Ivory not Coast world if Cup, de- but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like you're yeah, always yeah. going to be nervous to play Ivory Coast because Didier Drogba is playing for them. Uh, or you have, for Croatia, somebody like Mario Mandzukic, who, though he is not a world-class Ballon d'Or winner, he is a player who plays has played at the top, top level oh, yeah, is but, very, for people very who don't good. Know,
0: for people who don't know, he's played for Bayern Munich, yep. Atletico Madrid, Juventus. Like, he has done a tour of the top teams, right? Mm-hmm. And we do not have a guy who has done that. We've had Josie at Hull and Sunderland, right? So yeah. <laughs> pressure is really on... On sort of Josh Sargent, uh, Jesus Ferreira, who may not even be a, a proper nine, so maybe not, or Ricardo Pepe is a possibility. He'll yeah. be 23 uh, when that comes around. Uh, Gio Reyna, whatever attacking position he ends up taking, but it's all unknown, right? And the mm-hmm. law of averages means that not all these players are going to hit their full potential. They can have great, like solid professional careers, but we can't expect all of these guys to make the jump that really. Very few to know US men's national team players have made so far and go on and play regularly for a top team. Like, Clint Dempsey had the majority of his most successful years at Fulham, Mm -hmm. right? Fulham's not Barcelona, not Real Madrid, not Bayern Munich.
1: They're not, but that was a Fulham who were, you know, like made that deep run of the Europa League. So that's yeah. something, not but you, quite but to you, the level that you're talking about, though.
0: Yeah, you get what I'm saying. When you look at those Croatia and Belgium yeah. squads for 2018, they had players at Juventus, right? Like when when Fulham beat Juventus, it was the shock of shocks.
1: Yeah, um, I mean it,
0: they're on very different levels.
1: Yeah, we're doing the International Champions Cup of history. We're going to do another episode this week. Uh, yeah, we don't have the Fulham team that almost won the Europa League <laughs> in the bracket. Put it that way.
0: <laughs> um, I'd also add that in 2026. All the players we named, right? And you add Mm -hmm. six years to their current age and it's kind of exciting. Obviously, some guys will retire. Like John Brooks will be 33. 33. So maybe he's around, maybe he's not. With the injuries, I would guess maybe he's not in international contention. But you're also going to have... There's some 14-year-old kid right now that none of us know the name of and he's going to be 20 years old and he'll probably have a shot at the US Men's National Team uh, 23-man roster.
1: I am laughing because I remembered Matt Doyle a while ago. I think when the United States, Mexico, Canada were awarded the 2026 World Cup, Doyle compiled his potential roster for 2026. His center forward, he had two of them, Daryl. One is Josh Sargent. Uh, The other was definitely tongue-in-cheek, but it was a 16-year-old who would be 16 at the time of the 2026 World Cup.
0: Right, so then he would be 10 right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's Cristiano Ronaldo's kid. (laughs) (laughs) and it could well be you never know
0: I love the occasional optimism from, uh, from Matt Doyle <laughs> <laughs> the other so you had concern about striker which yeah. I you know Ricardo Pepe could come good right and we never know but definitely I wouldn't be putting money on him being a Mansukic mm-hmm. level striker um, but I also have concerns at centre back because um, again Croatia mm-hmm. in 2018 had Dejan Lovren playing for Liverpool Belgium had Vertonghen and Alderweireld at Spurs and Vincent Kompany at Manchester City I don't see an obvious path right now for even the young centre-backs that we know about to be playing for the very, very top teams, right? Chris Richards, yes, he's at Bayern, but we don't know if, when or ever he's going to make his Bayern debut.
1: Yeah, that's that's the issue is that there are lots of center backs who on paper you're like, OK, like if, if somebody went back and looked at this team, if all the center backs that could go went, they'd be like, wow, that was a really, really good team. Because you do have Matt Miazga with Chelsea, but on loan, Eric Palmer Brown with Man City, but on loan. And yeah. and and so like you do have some of those teams that like were players theoretically at big clubs, but certainly not starting, certainly not getting the minutes that would make us think like, yeah, it's going to be Matt Miazga and Eric Palmer Brown for sure. The starting center backs for Chelsea and Man City, respectively.
0: And honestly, Miles Robertson could go and have a career with Real Betis, yep. right? And it'll be really exciting, but it won't quite be the same um, as having that level of centre-back that we just mentioned Croatia and Belgium having, right? Why, why,
1: why'd you go Real Betis?
0: I don't know. I shouldn't think of a team that's big, but like, isn't that that big. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, well, I, maybe I chose the wrong team. Okay, maybe uh, Mark McKenzie could be at Augsburg, <laughs> Right, and I'd say yeah. that he's done well, but you would—he wouldn't immediately jump out on a roster and be like, "Oh, they've got this Augsburg centre back. Everybody be scared of him."
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do know that what you team's
0: mean. going to the semis.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, but like with Croatia, they did have uh, Damagovita. Uh, you remember? You remember Vida? Like, yes. Head shaved on the side, long ponytail—an interesting look. Absolutely. But even even then, you kind of have to have that like player who has played for like that second tier team, but has the experience and know how that they can step right in and play at that international level surrounded by like, other players who can augment their vulnerabilities. And the United States could have that, but I, I wouldn't say that we have enough of those players right now to your initial point of you know France is leaving world-class players off. like Austria probably can leave a couple players off that the United States might take an eye at. And so I think until we get everybody uh, like moving up just a little bit, so maybe we do have some center backs at Fulham who are actually starting, like Tim Ree, maybe we get three more, we get Fulham America again, and then I feel way better.
0: Worth noting, again, there is the home sword advantage. There's the 48-team World Cup, which is going to be 16 groups of three. Top two go through. Then you have a round of 32. I could see a really exciting, really talented U.S. team that captures the nation's imagination and goes out in the round of 16. And there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. And then they get their victory parade and they get to celebrate with uh, President Killer Mike. We good with that? (laughs)
0: Yes, four more cool. years. Four more years. I'm,
1: I am <laughs> mostly not joking about that. <laughs> I, don't um, know how, I don't know how that name tests um, <laughs> in Yeah, polling. he might. I mean, I mean, President Killer, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> that's, he's going to win some negotiations. That's all I'm saying. Um, and I'm going to get Secretary of State LP. I'm good with that too. Uh, okay, can but, I just add
0: before we move yeah. on that I also hope I'm wrong, right? I hope that like every player that we've talked about their career really works out and we go really big right and we have a bunch of players at Dortmund and PSG and Atletico Madrid and multiple Premier League players assuming the Premier League is still you know the best paying league um and and maybe it all could really work out and we could you could look at a US roster for 2026 and it's just like this star-studded thing of Champions League teams uh, players playing for Champions League teams and maybe suddenly it could be the the year that the US finally breaks out and like Goes to the semis and, in hindsight, was a contender for the World Cup.
1: See, Daryl is dreaming and feeling very relaxed and confident and happy. And I'm wondering if maybe that's because uh, today's sponsor is involved in, in his uh, current system. Not today, but it has <laughs> been recently. <laughs> oh, Really? Have have times been stressful? I have no idea. I'm
0: assuming we're talking about Sunday Scaries.
1: You are correct. (laughs) Today's Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Sunday Scaries. They make specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go.
0: These specially formulated CBD products with vitamins. Mm -hmm. Vitamins? That's not how you pronounce it, is it? Vitamins is how you pronounce it. Vitamins in the US. (laughs) All
1: right, you went the other way with it.
0: I got caught in Greenland, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They can help you in all sorts of ways. can help you chill out, help you relax, help you keep your composure. And for me specifically, we talked about this before, it helps me concentrate. It helps me really focus when I'm trying to get something done.
1: I feel like caught in Greenland is a euphemism for maybe the, the product that has THC in it, which we should note is not CBD. Uh, we, you did, yeah, no, no you did THC. get a reference there, right? I, I do, absolutely. Right. So, But you're not getting – but, yeah, I, I do still want, want you to have a green out, Daryl. I think it would be real fun for you. <laughs> Uh, But until you you can (laughs) legally do that, you can legally eat uh, CBD products, including the CBD gummies. You can legally use the CBD bath bomb if you wanted to. We've talked about that previously. And most importantly, you can get 25% off your first order with the code SOCCER at sundayscaries.com.
0: That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com and enter code SOCCER where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page don't put it anywhere else go to com and find out what product might be best for you when you go to com, use the code soccer thank you Sunday Scaries, for sponsoring today's show
1: i do love the idea of just going there and just typing soccer and over and over and over again until you see what happens <laughs> just
0: try don't put it, it into everywhere. a field
1: yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, Next question, Daryl, since you asked me the last one, I'll ask you this one. From Raghav Gupta, uh, what are some of the most famous examples of soccer players protesting?
0: Um, I think a big one is Megan Rapinoe. Uh, Megan Rapinoe took a knee um, during the national anthem in September 2016 um, in solidarity with With Colin Kaepernick, who, if you remember, was protesting police brutality very, very peacefully. And everyone was telling him that, no, that's not what you're doing. They did not listen to Colin Kaepernick. Um, People did not listen to Megan Rapino. The result was that US soccer added a bylaw to its policy explicitly saying that everyone has to stand during the national anthem and that's why yeah. i can't remember if i mentioned them at the top of the show but that's why i bristled a little today when i saw u.s soccer tweeting out i think united against racism when they literally had done the opposite uh back in 2017 exactly. uh, yeah. by uh, refusing to let megan Rapino protest police brutality i understand that was different leadership now um different leadership then versus now i would ask that u.s soccer um remove that bylaw and allow players to protest the national anthem if they desire to do so.
1: Yes, I am. I Excuse mean, me, not protest agreement. the
0: national anthem. Protest during the national anthem. That's the very important distinction.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you for making that distinction. Thank you for bringing up Megan Rapinoe. Because it is worth noting, the two examples that I think most readily came to mind that are probably two of the biggest uh, involve women's soccer. Megan Rapinoe being one, uh, Ada Hegerberg being the other. She sits out, like the, what, the reigning uh, Ballon d'Or winner, or the player yeah. of the year, sits out the 2019 World Cup due to inequality issues uh, relating to the Norwegian FA and the sort of treatment of the women's team in relation to the men's team. To sit out an entire World Cup uh, is a pretty like dramatic step, yeah. but it certainly brought a lot of eyes to the situation and and not even saying that that's what she was going for but i think just sort of sticking to your guns and missing out on potentially once in a lifetime opportunity deserves to be mentioned as a pretty powerful form of protest
0: i mean to be fair england protested the 94 world cup in the u.s by sitting that out
1: um, and the 2006 euros 2008 euros 2008 2008 euros Euros, yeah. yeah yeah Mm. You, guys are, brave, you guys are nice on that front. That's good of you. Those brave protesters.
0: Um, <laughs> to Berlin in the Bundesliga yep. took a knee also in solidarity with NFL players in 2017. Um, a more famous example, the Iranian national team. Do you remember this one, Taylor? The, Swantala, the yeah. green wristbands in 2009.
1: It was the second Total Soccer Show episode, I think, or maybe the third. We talked about that.
0: Wow. In at the deep end, right? In at mm-hmm. the deep end. I still don't fully understand... My my understanding of it, which I, understand, I also understand may be limited, is that there was an election. Um, Ahmadinejad mm-hmm. was declared the winner, but there was some um, feeling that maybe the election wasn't fully legit. And there mm-hmm. were street demonstrations and the colour green became associated with the demonstrations against the election that they didn't see as fair. And then we had the Iranian national team. A lot of the players had green wristbands. And I think the captain wore a green armband, if I'm not mistaken. Medivikia, I think it might have been.
1: I could be wrong, but I think that's who it was.
0: So, I mean, that's a huge, that's a really famous high-profile incident.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I believe there was—I can't remember what what is true and what is me remembering it, so, you know, grain of salt there. Uh, But I I believe I'm correct in saying that they had, like, their passports, uh, like, taken back because some of them were playing in the Bundesliga and playing in Europe, and they weren't allowed to leave the country. And there was some conversation about how they were forcibly retired or forced to retire from the national team. Uh, So you can go and look that one up. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely— Uh, like they wearing green wristbands might sound like okay they wore a wristband but like when you look at the broader context similar to weston mckinney you understand the severity of the action
0: unlike weston mckinney they did remove their wristbands at halftime i think Mm -hmm. they came under pressure um i did look into this um there were rumors that four players were forcibly retired the majority of them came back uh about a year later to continue playing for the national team Mm -hmm. um so I'm pre- I'm pretty sure that was like maybe a temporary overreaction that was rumored and probably did briefly happen, but it was later reversed, as I understand it. Yeah, um, uh, got a I, have a, I have a brief list. I like how we're clicking through these and just giving a good mm. overview.
1: Yeah, I, I have two more. Uh, one would be uh, Dwayne DiVosario, Brandon McDonald, Mike Consantos, Nick DeLeon uh, wore hoodies uh, to honor Trayvon Martin to bring attention to what had happened there. Again, uh, brutality and uh, against uh, young African-Americans. Uh, it happened then. It continues to happen now. But I, I remember talking to Dwayne uh, DiVosario, D-Row. I don't know why I called him Dwayne. I think it's from the Kickers days. Uh, but like, <laughs> I, I, I remember this. I remember this being a like, moment in in my mind of like wow th- like athletes are taking a stand that is very impressive and honorable and I talked to him about it and it made me really happy yep. because I really like d and I really like uh him taking that stance
0: and for anyone who doesn't remember the Trayvon Martin case it wasn't police brutality it was a citizen yep. who just felt it was okay to shoot a man dead right mm. and it's worth remembering that that is also a thing that happens because it happened not too long ago with Ahmed Arbury as well guns yep. down while jogging by two men who just felt that it was okay to do that. They thought, thought that they could get away with that. So really worth remembering that it's not just about police brutality. Right. It's about what other people in society think they can get away with and, in Zimmerman's case, did get away with. Exactly,
1: exactly. Uh, and then uh, another one from a, a little bit in the Wayback Machine, the Johann Cruyff naming his son Jordi is always <sighs> one of my favorite stories.
0: Wow, that's a lifelong protest. <laughs> Yes. For, uh,
1: Jordi. for, for, <laughs> for, for those who, uh, who are unfamiliar or have forgotten. Uh, he was named Jordi after the patron saint of Catalonia. Uh, that was denied. Uh, you could not register a name because Franco's, Franco's dictatorship uh, had a ban on Catalan names. So rather than settle for, I believe, George was what the suggested name would have been. He flew the family to Netherlands and registered the name there. So he was legally uh, Jordi Cruyff.
0: Oh, Cruyff! Always, yeah. always seen opportunities in space where people don't don't other people don't see them.
1: <laughs> great vision,
0: great vision. Yep. What we're talking about, Dutchman. Um, I didn't know this until today. This appeared on um the Reddit soccer front page today. In 1987, Ruud Hulit won the Ballon d'Or, and he dedicated it to Nelson Mandela, right? Really? Which kind of sounds like okay, yeah, fine, right now, right? Because we all know Nelson Mandela. At that time, Nelson Mandela was still in jail right? He was not president of South Africa. Um, he, he wasn't well known, apparently, in Italy, according to Rude Hullet. People didn't really know about the whole apartheid and the Nelson Mandela situation. So Rude Hullet winning the Ballon d'Or and dedicating it to Nelson Mandela was apparently a very big deal in 1987, especially because Rude Hullet's Dutch, obviously, and then there's the Dutch history with South Africa and the Afrikaners. So that was, that was kind of a big deal. I knew nothing about it till today.
1: Um, so that would be, are are you saying that's perhaps a good example of athletes not sticking to sports? The devil, you say? (laughs) You got any more for me, Taylor? Uh, I do not. Those are are the four that, uh, came most readily to my mind. Uh, so I wrote them down.
0: Okay. I've got two more and I did the research. Yes, I do have one more. I do have one more, I lied. But go ahead, go ahead. I I did the research, so damn it, I'm going to read them out. Um, In 1997, Robbie Fowler, um, lifted his shirt after scoring to reveal, I don't know if you've seen this, um... It was like a a mock-up Calvin Klein-looking T-shirt with the big CK in the middle, um, supporting the Dockers of Liverpool. There were 500 Dockers who went on strike for a long time and then were fired uh, by the company. And it became a big protest movement to uh, support the Dockers and try to get them reinstated. So Robbie Fowler, obviously from Liverpool, played for Liverpool, supporting the Liverpool Dockers in 1997 when he scored and
1: lifted up his jersey not his most famous celebration but but a fairly famous one for sure <laughs> um so you actually so you had one more uh, I did well. One more, but it's it's kind of two players. Uh, the bigger one would be James McLean refusing to wear the poppy. Uh, that that is one that I think gets covered every year because it's uh, yeah. I sort of I guess it is controversial in England. Uh, I think I think it would be less controversial over here, but then again, kneeling and everything else, you never know. Uh, but Nemanja Matic as well uh, for similar reasons, basically because he remembers he wore it. I think originally, and then kind of thought deeper about it because he he has like memories of uh, his village in Serbia coming under attack and and being bombed, then I think he he didn't really want to celebrate the armed forces. So he has chosen not to wear the poppy. Uh, Same thing for James McLean for obviously very different reasons.
0: Okay, uh, my final one. 2008, um, Egyptian player Mohamed Trika, who I know is one of Bob Bradley's uh, favorite players. He's always got full of praise for the way Trika played when he coached Egypt. Um, He lifted up a shirt after he scored for Egypt to reveal the phrase sympathize with Gaza, which is actually a very carefully, cleverly worded thing, right? Sympathize with Gaza.
1: It, it, it is. It does feel like sort of <laughs> like the, the the statements that we were criticizing earlier. Like you could be like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess it is tough to say because you can't say like free Gaza. You can't say like, I don't know, like something very negative. So I guess you're right. I, yeah. I, I've come around on it immediately. Well done, Daryl.
0: 2008, well, it was Abutreka who did it. Sympathize with Gaza. Yeah, all right, all right. Shall we move I, on? I retract
1: my earlier criticism. <laughs> Shall we
0: move on to Jesse Ronda's question? Let's do it. Um, Jesse says, hey guys, on Sunday's show, you were talking best yeah. CONCACAF player. You know where this is going, listener. I do. You talked <laughs> you talked Davies, Pulisic, uh, Jimenez, and Adams, but no mention of Kylo Navas. Jesse says, with all his personal and team accomplishments, just wondering if he was left out because he's declined in form and can no longer be considered a top player in the Confederation or if he's simply getting the keeper treatment.
1: It's probably a little bit of both for me. Um, because like looking at, at he's yeah, the starting goalkeeper for PSG, but I think when he was a starting goalkeeper for Real Madrid and they were winning like the champions league every year, Mm -hmm. uh, he would have been way uh, further up the list. I still had him at four, but I think because he's with PSG, he's not getting like that next level competition that we would like to see on a regular basis. But I also do think it's because he's been around there probably is. Some element of the new thing is the more exciting thing. Davies, Pulisic, Jimenez, uh, Adams, like the the newer things in comparison to Kalo Navas.
0: I 100% forgot about him. Really? I I have no good excuse. I just completely forgot about Kalo Navas. And I think, weirdly, even though PSG is obviously such a big team and obviously a team that wins a lot of titles, I hadn't watched PSG play for a good long while And so I hadn't seen Keylor Navas in goal for them, right? If he was the Real Madrid keeper, I guarantee I would have remembered just because Mm. Real Madrid is so high profile. He also didn't play in the 2019 Gold Cup. So I didn't get reminded about him last summer uh, during the Gold Cup, right? Hmm. So I can't say if his form has dropped. I don't remember his form dropping towards the end of his spell at Real Madrid, right? No, it was, it I mean, Zidane it, wanted him. Yeah, and he was really weirdly forced out just because he wasn't like a big enough name. Not because there was any decline decline in his goalkeeper skills. I think that's a good case that Keiloh Navas actually is the best player in CONCACAF just because of those Champions League wins. I think those tip it, right? So like he matches... Um, Alfonso Davies for playing for a big team, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, um, but he bests Alfonso Davies in but he doing play it for, for many, Real many, Madrid many anymore. seasons and winning three Champions Leagues.
1: But he doesn't play for Madrid anymore. Yeah,
0: like, but if you I, accept I guess- that he was good enough to do that and then he was forced out for reasons that don't involve him not being his, his talent level or his form level, mm-hmm. then I would argue that he's, he's the best player in CONCACAF.
1: No, right. I, I think the reason why I won't go with you there is just because I do think. For, for your best player to be a goalkeeper, <laughs> they really have to be at that next level, in my mind. It yeah. has to be so good they are that difference maker. It's the D.D. Drogba factor again, only this time in goal, that you look at that team and you think like, oh, f- oh Kayla Navas is there. And I do still think that. I do still have that like, oh, Kehler Navas is really good. But I don't have that like, well, we're not getting past him sort of vibe that I think I probably did have a couple years ago. And that's not even about him, to clarify. I'm not saying like, and he has declined and therefore, like, I, I, he is not as good as he was. I think just in my mind, he is not as terrifying or intimidating as he used to be. And that's why I don't put him that high. But that is, admittedly, an emotional thing as opposed to uh, your, I, I suppose, more rational.
0: And Yeah, but it, it also is the keeper treatment, right? It's just really hard to mm-hmm. think of keepers as being the best players, not least because they're just so hard to compare with outfield players. And it's much more fun to talk about outfield players. That's, yes. I think that's my bias, is I prefer talking about and analyzing and judging outfield players against each other if I have to do it. And once you enter a keeper into the mix, it's like this weird, slightly different type of thing as, has entered the equation and I don't know what to do with it.
1: <laughs> it's, well, like, I, I it's like th-
0: arguing about who the best musician is, but one of them's a drummer. And it really, suddenly gets really hard to quantify what, what the drummer's talent is.
1: I did see the, somebody tweeting that today about, uh, about Charlie Parker being the best musician of the Rolling Stones. Uh, and then there's the apocryphal Beatles quote that goes the opposite way. Yeah, no yeah, stars. Yeah. So it can go either way, I suppose.
0: Uh huh. But is that even true, that apocryphal Beatles quote? I, I mean, I know that, like, that the quote might be true, but is that even accurate? Oh, no, we we, no I'm saying it's not know, true. Right? They
1: never said that. Yeah, but it, they, that whole, like, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Uh, I don't think either of them actually said that.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah. But I wouldn't know. There's no way to know.
1: I mean, you're, <laughs> you're right. Good point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I hope we've... Cleared that up. I guess all I can do is apologize for forgetting. At least Taylor had him at number four. I mean, I, I just, didn't mention him. I just wish I'd asked Taylor, uh, do you have anyone else, else outside your top yeah.
1: three? <laughs> I usually I do, say-
0: right? I'm usually annoyingly exhaustive. <laughs> I just forgot to do it that time. <laughs>
1: uh And it is worth noting, Jesse, that Daryl, like, this is not a platitude because we often get a like, "What about? Why no?" Whenever we do lists like this, and usually we're like, "Ah, you know why?" Or like, "Ah, it wasn't worth including." This time, Daryl, I think Daryl's reaction tells you how bad he really does feel.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did have a we did have a couple of others that were like, "No mm-hmm. consideration of X player?" Question yep. mark, and the answer to that rhetorical question is no because you didn't hear them talked about in the show. <laughs>
1: Well said, my friend. Well said. All right. So, Jesse, uh, apologies. Kayla and Abbas, larger apologies. Uh, We have more questions to come. But first, Daryl, should we talk about The Athletic for a moment?
0: Yes. uh, So, you've just heard in Sunday Scaries, an ad for The Athletic. Mm -hmm. Um, But The Athletic doesn't just do um, national advertising like that. The Athletic also wants to advertise local businesses, especially right now, right, where local businesses definitely need some help. So The Athletic is encouraging people to go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. And if you have a small, locally focused business, you can browse the podcasts available on The Athletic Podcast, podcast network and you can see if there are podcasts that are specifically targeted um, at the place where you live and the place where you do business Mm -hmm. um we're not we're not included in this right Taylor because we're sort of national US and probably anyone else interested in American soccer um around the world we we say we see those downloads that come from China and we wonder who they are Um, (laughs) (laughs) but you know you do have let's say I actually don't know exactly the podcast that The Athletic has that are focused on various sports teams but let's say there's a Green Bay Packers podcast um, and you want, and you have a business in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, then obviously that will be on the list, and you could you could buy an ad on that Green Bay uh, Packers podcast. Which uh, may or may not exist. I should there have done is my no research.
1: Green, there is no Green Bay Packers. one. Damn there it. is the Hear the Deer podcast if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan, or Section 422, which is for the Brewers fans.
0: How did you do that so fast?
1: I still had the page open.
0: Oh, very nice. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> and I, you
1: do have Canada. You do have league-wide shows as well. So there is some like, like, uh, larger appeal, more so than just like, micro-podcasts. Like, yes. You really think your, your target demo is focused on the NBA, focused on baseball, focused on college football, or the NFL, or the NHL. Then you do have those sorts of podcasts that you can go for as well. Thank you for saving me, Taylor. Once again, <laughs> my, it's, it's my job, buddy.
0: theathletic.com slash podcast ads. A link will be in the show notes. Um, it's also worth noting that by doing this, you will also still be supporting the Total Soccer Show as well because um, the more ads that The Athletic sells on its podcast, the healthier the entire athletic podcast business is and then the healthier we
1: are by association. Yeah, sure. So thank you to The Athletic for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Ryan Hawkins for our next question. Uh, Can you tell us more about your guys' time as announcers with the Richmond Kickers? Was it all radio? Was there any TV? How did you decide who played what role, uh, play-by-play versus color commentator? Do you have any desire to go back into that at any time?
0: Do you know the sort of genesis of this question, Taylor? I do not. So somebody asked this on a Reddit page. There's a Reddit reddit.com slash r slash Show page. There we go. Um, that we don't run, other people run it. And somebody asked that question, um, asking if we could talk about uh, our time doing play-by-play for the Richmond Kickers um, in the USL Championship at the time. And I just responded and said, hey, ask it as a listener question and we'll talk about it on the show. So that's (laughs) how this came about. And Um, here we are. Here we are. Should we go through this question by question? Sure. Um, Okay. Was it all radio? No. None of it was radio, right? This was mostly broadcast via the USL's YouTube channel and then here Mm. locally on the local CBS channel.
1: Right. Uh, But even then, it was only, I think, like certain games were on the main CBS channel. Like, I think it was only like three in the season. And then there was the alternate CBS channel where you could find the games. So even then, we weren't like regularly on TV uh, to the extent that we were wearing suits and being fancy.
0: Yeah. And so we didn't appear either, right? The cameras were pointed at the game. And we, I think they once or twice turned the cameras around to show our faces and took us by Mm -hmm. surprise. I think when Joey just wanted to mess with us,
1: basically. Yeah, yep. That sounds about
0: right. (laughs) So that's mostly what happened. So, yes, and it was on local call CBS a couple of times, but it was mostly on, I don't fully understand how it works, but I'm going to call it fringe
1: CBS. (laughs) <laughs> yes, they only show Richmond Kickers games And then the TV show Fringe
0: Yeah, exactly, it's a very yeah. weird programming decision But incre- somehow it's an incredible business model
1: <laughs> What was not a weird programming decision Was how we decided to play what role uh, We've talked about this before, so I'll give the abbreviated version Which is basically, to practice we, I think it was for when we were doing Rabble broadcasts yes. is where we learned this Way back when, uh, but we both Sort of tried it out as who would be better at what And Daryl was far and away the better play-by-play commentator Because Daryl said names And Taylor said teams (laughs)
0: and we also we really had it down towards the middle and end i Mm -hmm. would say where i i think i got better at doing the play-by-play in a non-monotonous way and i think we learned that it gave you time to literally not worry about specifically what was happening on the ball and to look around the entire field and spot things that were good analysis and good information um for viewers right so we really did have a good system down towards the end
1: We did, and I think it's worth remembering at this point, uh, for people who might not be aware, the Richmond Kickers were very, very, very bad at this time period, where there were were very few goals, they would go a long time without scoring, they lost to uh, Christo, was that what it was?
0: Yeah, it's actually the anniversary of that game, I think, today. I saw a tweet that it's been a certain number of years, two years since that game happened, Christo's FC.
1: Yeah, and uh, but I will say that Daryl to... really Daryl was the uh, English-accented equivalent of the Simpsons uh, Spanish announcer when it comes to soccer, where you really did the only way to deal with how slow some of those games were was to make them sound very exciting. I'm not saying you did it in a fake way, but Daryl had a really good way of being like, he's got the ball, he passed it back to the center back, center back over, okay, he's holding it, he's, hold- he's moved it to the right back. Now, Like it was just moving it back and forth, but Daryl would have that energy that made you be a little bit more focused. It worked for me, because then I was like, okay, things are happening. <laughs> I got to really pay attention.
0: I will tell you how I liked to do it. And this is how I wish people did play by play is to constantly focus on what's happening. Um, and not just like, the right-back passes it to the centre-back with those players' mm-hmm. names in there. Let's say we're watching Liverpool, right? Um, which we, we weren't, but let's say we're watching Liverpool. Um, it wouldn't just be Trent Alexander-Arnold passes it mm-hmm. to Joe Gomez. I always like to really narrate, like, Trent Alexander-Arnold looks downfield, he sees if he has an option to play into the feet that of, true. of yeah. Giorgio Ronaldo. It's not on, the pass is blocked off, so he goes square to Joe Gomez. Because I think that's better than just narrating who's got the ball and where it's going. It's giving people who are soccer fans but not necessarily soccer savvy the actual information about what's happening. Because then you get the context of why he just passed it sideways. It's because he looked for a forward pass but Mm. it was blocked off and that's why he chose to go sideways.
1: And I will combine that. I will walk back what I said a little bit because you're right. That was a bad example of like passes to the fullback, fullback back to the center back. But you would say it with that level of intensity. But he looks down the field. Oh, ball's not on. Okay, he's cut it back. Like yeah. you, I'm making it sound more panicked than it was for some <laughs> reason. Um, but But it was very enthusiastic and genuine and so then because uh, there were definitely some games that I probably would have like wandered away uh, and and just like sort of been uh, distracted by shiny things because there weren't goals happening uh, and so oh, you I doing to, that then I made me focus I talked to the production
0: crew and we made sure there were no shiny things things to distract you <laughs> we used to get there two hours early and remove all the shiny things
1: I mean we were standing in bleachers that were quite shiny but I think sure when you're were. surrounded by shiny maybe then nothing stands out uh, <laughs> and then for me you're absolutely right though that it was like because you were doing that like oftentimes for the first couple minutes I wouldn't talk because uh, at the time 4-2-3-1 was dominant and we would just get the kind of scrambled lineups that were you could usually assume was going to be 4-2-3-1 versus 4-2-3-1 but oftentimes (laughs) we'd get like the center forward was a fullback and the fullback was the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper was a midfielder so I would have to take that time to sort of put them in the right order and then see if the lineups that we were given the formations we were given actually corresponded and then it was sort of tracking how players moved from there that was how I went about sort of seeing how the game was evolving because if a person started left back but then suddenly was on the left wing you could it stands to reason that that person is a bit more attacking than we would have expected
0: yeah um okay to answer ryan's final part of the question do you have any desire to get back into it at any time
1: um, probably not, if I'm being totally honest. It was it was fun and it was enjoyable, but it's time consuming and it does require preparation. You do have to watch the games and sort of get familiar with the opposition. Not to the extent that John Strong does or Derek Ray does. We've seen their notes. And to your earlier point, we weren't doing a lot of like, oh, he played for four seasons at Clemson and scored 59 goals. We would sort of avoid those anecdotes yeah, and instead watch the games. You know why? Because no one cares. Is. Nope, they sure do I'm not
0: saying that guy's 59 goals for Clemson are not valuable and are not an accomplishment, but it doesn't add anything to the game, especially Mm -hmm. if he's a right back who had three assists in four
1: years at Clemson. (laughs) (laughs) You're discrediting assists from a fullback? I'm just saying that that that's not a helpful stat. Not so much. If you had not 100 so
0: assists in four years at Clemson, yeah. that's, that's a helpful stat. Maybe even mm-hmm. the 59 goals is actually a good stat because it says this guy scored a ton of goals in college. But even then, I think I liked to, I liked for us to do the broadcast, but do it conversationally and not mm. have fake announcer voice. And like, if I was saying to you that like, this guy had scored a ton of goals in college, I would want to say it that way, right? I wouldn't say in four in his four-year college career he scored 59 goals. He,
1: can he, I tell you what you would do? Yeah. I can tell you exactly what you would do. You would say he scored like you would maybe know the stat because I I know you well enough to know that Daryl does his research. You would say like he scored 59 goals, but only one of them with his left foot. So it's like stands out even more that he scored tonight with his left foot. Like Daryl wouldn't know that detail uh, to make like to like that's the type of stats that you would use to show like oh he did something different or this is in keeping what we've seen from him because it helps like like create not even create the narrative but helps kind of further the understanding of what this player does and what the team is trying to do through that play yeah
0: because information has to be useful right sorry (laughs) i I sidetracked us with that you were originally saying that basically it was a lot of work and a lot of Mm -hmm. preparation because i think it's because honestly taylor both of us are nerdy swatty Mm -hmm. tryhards, and we would never turn up to a game unprepared so we're Mm -hmm. sort of tortured by our neurotic over-preparation Mm -hmm. I think I can speak for both of us by saying that.
1: (laughs) I mean, and then, like, I don't know how much we want to get into it, but it is also the case that we were... In metal bleachers with the sun beating down on us on a yeah. regular basis, and when it would storm, there was water running past electrical cables. <laughs> I think some of that has been rectified. I, I guess they don't have the commentary team now there because it's all done remotely. Yeah, so Amber. that's probably changed quite a bit. Uh, but that that was also part of it that it's not as though we were sitting in an air conditioned press box in August in Richmond where there's incredible humidity and we're sweating throughout the entire game.
0: Yeah, I will say I'm glad that. I've done it speaking for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm glad that it's a thing that I can say that I've done, right? Mm-hmm. And I I'm really proud of having done it, but I don't have a desire to get back into it even if I was offered honestly to like do it at some higher level. It's mm-hmm. just not actually a thing that I enjoy all that much and honestly the main reason is the time constraint or the mm-hmm. time specific thing um it's, the Darryl,
1: it's my favorite I'm trying hard not my to favorite say it, thing but... about daryl grove it really is one of not my favorite thing but it's one of the most like consistent things about daryl is having to be somewhere having to do a thing at a certain time it is not your favorite thing ever
0: i like to live my life where i can change my mind <laughs> if i want to do
1: you know what i'm saying so if <laughs> if you had the power if you were so powerful in american soccer that you could dictate the kickoff times then you would want to do it right
0: yes that'd be perfect yeah okay if the game was seven o'clock kickoff at city stadium here in sunny richmond virginia yeah and i was out to dinner with my wife and i was having a good time and she said hey there's a new paul thomas anderson movie i think we're gonna i'm gonna go tonight it's already arranged with some other people i would call head office and move the game back to tomorrow (laughs) if i had that power yes yeah all in
1: and this is why you will never have that power i guess not i guess
0: not (laughs) Yeah, or so yeah, I, think- I would I would put the schedule up on uslsoccer.com and I'd have a big asterisk at the bottom. It would say all kickoff times subject to Paul Thomas Anderson movie <laughs> schedule.
1: <laughs> and then uh, insight into how we record the show: we would set the time for like, let's say kickoff. Where it was going to be at seven o'clock. Knowing us, it would be like, hey, actually, it's going to be seven fifteen. We would text that <laughs> uh, maybe ten minutes before the game started. <laughs>
0: um so yeah that's that's the main Mm -hmm. reason and also it is quite a stressful thing to do it and to try and do it well right it's a lot of mental effort so again yeah i'm glad to have done it um and the kickers were great to us i want to make that Mm -hmm. really clear we have absolutely um no no problem with the way the kickers treated us um it's just not a thing that i ever want to do because honestly total soccer shows the main thing right and anything else is a bit of a distraction
1: yeah I would agree with that. So I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page about that as well. Right. It would have been awkward if you were like, I definitely want to do it. Let's do it this summer. And I was like, um, well, <laughs> no.
0: We
1: That's how I would have said it. We hope there was.
0: is uh, a USL schedule this summer, though. Um, we'll, we'll keep uh, an yeah. eye on that. Um, are points. you ready for the next question, Tyler? I am indeed. Next question comes from... Oh, and just want to say thank you to Ryan for sending that question. Um, mm-hmm. Next question comes from Grace Ott. Grace Ott wants to know, um, or says... It seems like a like a lot of young fullbacks, Sergio Dest, Anthony Robinson, etc., are described as being excellent in getting forward, but needing to improve a lot on their one-on-one defending, one v one defending. Grace wants to know why are players with that skill set played as fullbacks instead of played as wingers with better defenders as fullbacks. Obviously, to preempt the answer I was going to give before I saw this last sentence, better defending comes with training and experience. But what makes coaches put players who are predominantly very strong attackers in the fullback position to begin with?
1: I think Good it, question. it basically in my it is it is and i hadn't really thought about it before uh my answer which is more of a gut answer than anything researched is essentially that like those spots those attacking options are very important if you want to win games so too is defense don't get me wrong but it's why mls teams spend money on designated players who are attackers more often than not because you want the kind of flair players your best players to be able to be there to score goals to be technical you don't always want to have to roll the dice and like hope this 16 or 17 year old or 18 year old pulls it off Whereas we often see coaches will experiment with players who end up being attackers. Uh, Gerard, uh, Steven Gerrard as a central midfielder, Gareth Bale, briefly a left back even. And what Gerrard was a right back. Like sometimes you see players kind of put there because they're very good. They can get into the attack. Uh, maybe they'll end up being a defender. And then sometimes they do and sometimes they don't.
0: Oh, so you're saying people end up there because it's a place that coaches are willing to play young players.
1: Yes, right? and I think it also definitely coincides with the move towards fullbacks being attackers, like using fullbacks to facilitate attacks the way, say, Ajax have done, the way Barcelona have done. I think that trend then makes yeah. you want like the un- the unproven attacker who could one day be a winger, but can do enough job defending that they can play behind, but not be responsible for providing all the assists or for scoring all the goals.
0: Yeah, so I think there are two correct answers that work hand in hand here, right? It's the- It's the easiest spot to trust a young player in it seems to be mm-hmm. for for coaches yeah. um because you're not running the entire show from fullback and even if you have a terrible game there's still like a layer of defense in the center backs and the goalkeepers behind you so you basically you can't screw it up too bad if it turns out you're completely out of your depth <laughs> um at fullback and the coach can talk to you if he's on the same side of the field right so i, I imagine that's part of why young players mm, end up playing sense. there um but i'd also uh, go with the idea that i think you mentioned this that fullback is at least for a good team, fullback is primarily an attacking position now, right? Yeah. So if there's any attacker with even a modicum of defensive ability, it actually makes sense to play them as a fullback and tell them to get involved in the attack, but just know they can do something resembling a good job when it comes to the defensive part of it. Alfonso Davies is maybe the very best example of this because he went to Bayern as a winger and he's played almost exclusively at left back. He's done some defending, but he spent most of his time attacking.
1: Yeah, uh, let me ask you this then, Daryl. And like, I this has genuinely just occurred to me in the moment. I don't mean to offend you, the defender. Like. At a certain point, do you feel like you kind of learn everything you can learn about being a defender, and it comes down to, like, can you do it in a game? Like, I I, I can't think of, a, like, a situation in which you'd be like, oh, that's how you defend that, and you learned that five years into your playing career, whereas I think with when you have the ball when you're an attacker, there is more you can do. You can learn how to make different runs or how to find different, like, spaces. With a, with a defender, you're sort of reacting to the play in a lot of ways, and I do think that maybe... Like at a certain point, you can keep training and you can always get better at tackling or better at reading the game, but I imagine there's more that you can learn as an attacker. I'm wondering if you agree with that roughly.
0: My personal anecdotal experience disagrees with you. Okay. But I'm only saying that as someone who has obviously exclusively played amateur soccer. <laughs> yeah. And not even at a very um, high level and hasn't received more than two or three seasons of like actual coaching from good coaches that I've figured out things as I go. And I am 40 years old and I am, and I'm not saying this in a lifelong learning is great kind of way. I really have been figuring things, at least Mm -hmm. one thing out every year that I've played, right? Like every season that I've played. I think that might be the case for proper professional defenders and if you want some examples right is that i kind of do because
1: to... i uh, that would be i don't even mean that any like give me examples give me the facts i mean just like yeah i want to hear about a thing that you learned to do better because i like hearing about knowledge daryl okay learning.
0: well here's a thing from very very recently that i wish i'd learned way way earlier and i think i actually learned it from you from playing with you is that it's sometimes you can play an entire game defending not trying to win the ball and be more effective. Like, And if you remember this, but there's been a couple of games that we've played against, both uh, 7 aside with Richmond City and 11 aside with THP, when we've been playing against a team that just had one really, really, really good centre-forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would play pretty well for the entire game, but I would often be trying to make it hard for that attacker by really being aggressive and trying to force them backwards and eventually trying to win the ball off them. And I would have like 90% of a good game, but because I was constantly being aggressive there'd be at least one or two or three moments where I get beat because I was overstepping. And that um, at least once, that's a thing that's cost us either cost us a game or cost us the three points and we ended up with just a draw, right? So I ended up learning that you can just make a decision at the start of the game that I'm not going to try and be the hero. I'm not trying to win the ball. I'm just going to constantly stand off and block this guy from shooting. Um, and that will be enough to, in a, in a bigger picture... It looks less good, but it's actually way more effective over
1: the course of a game. So that that makes sense. That that it does, and that's really interesting. But I think it does, like it it speaks to. I think you're absolutely right that that is probably an amateur thing. I don't think my initial when
0: I learned that lesson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I also don't think that like my initial assertion is correct. I think probably like if we're if we're sort of combining those ideas, my answer would be that you can take like. You can take chances as an attacker. You can try to take people on and if it doesn't work, like that's your job. You're trying to beat people. You can't really take chances as a defender, at least not very often. And think about the criticism we've heard about Josh Sargent lately, for example. It's him not doing his defensive job. It's him not dropping where he needs to be to do the defensive work. And I think coaches probably have way less patience for that. And if you, Daryl, were coached at a professional level and you stepped out and tried to win the ball and you lost and they scored... If you did it again, and if you did it again, I think you're probably not playing anymore. Whereas an attacker, maybe they don't beat somebody for three straight games. I think that they're trying it. Their coach is probably going to be more forgiving.
0: So yeah, I think the short way to say it would be that you can constantly learn how to make fewer mistakes, right? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like and there it. are techniques um, to decision-making that help you make fewer mistakes. And actually, now I'm thinking about it. I honestly can think of like three or four different examples, but I'm not sure it would be a good show to constantly list those examples. But yeah, it's about learning not to make mistakes mm-hmm. and learning how to deal with situations. And I think you're always going to get exposed to a new and slightly different situation. And you can always then learn, how do I how do I deal with that?
1: All right. Well, if we're talking about how do you deal with something, if you're dealing with not being able to see a doctor, especially when it comes to uh, erectile dysfunction issues, then today's sponsor is for you, Mr. Grove. Can you have any idea who I'm talking about? It's got to be Roman. It's got to be our friends (laughs) at Roman who have spent
0: years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state or from the comfort of your own home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need
1: on your schedule. Here's another view behind the curtain. You can tell I don't have the copy in front of me when I start going up in voice because I'm trying to get to it and I'm trying to remember what to say. Uh, Now I have it in front of me. That's right. You just grab your phone, your computer, complete a free online visit. You'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours.
0: If that doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan.
1: I do appreciate that, like... We're, we're making it possible with a lot of our sponsors to just never have to interact with another human again. If you want to go that route, then Total Soccer Show is here for you as our Roman. Uh, I so actually if think, str-
0: Taylor, if you don't mind me interrupting, mm-hmm. that especially erectile
1: yeah. dysfunction, I think whenever
0: I do these ad reads solo, I make sure to say the, the main thing is don't be embarrassed. Do something about it. Yeah. Um, but I honestly think that the telemedicine aspect of this Helps you to get over whatever embarrassment you might have of actually like going to to visit a doctor in an office or having to like go out in the world. Um, I think genuinely telemedicine could be a way where you can address this without being embarrassed about it.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong because like I, I think especially with the pandemic, and I know people have been having more sort of checkups and appointments online you're more likely to do that because you can be like, oh, I've got one at 10.30, I better go turn on my computer versus I've got one at 10.30, i got to leave the house at 10, i got to find parking, I hope yeah. like, there's no wait. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Telemedicine, way
0: to go. Yeah, I've, I've had some telemedicine visits with my oncologist in the last, in the last two or three months and I've been uh, surprisingly impressed at how productive it can be. And we're dealing with a really complex problem with lots of different things going on there. Um, when you're focused on one thing like erectile dysfunction, um, from what I understand, the doctor really can have a list of questions that they'll understand exactly what you need and then again if the uh, the treatment is right for you Roman can get you set up
1: so if you're struggling with ED go to getroman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two day shipping that's getroman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two day shipping
0: alright Taylor we've got some questions more questions to go I hope <laughs> we we do, certainly do next one
1: do from Matthew Graham. If MLS owners decide to lock out the players and refuse to pay them, would the players be free to sign contracts with teams in other leagues? If not, do all players just have to wait for their unpaid contracts to expire? And do you think a lockout would have long-term impacts on players choosing to come to MLS? Uh, Kenneth Seiden asked a similar question, and we should note uh, this is in relation to the news that there was a potential lockout if there couldn't be some agreements relating to certain clauses, including the force majeure. It seems like we will get some agreements Agreement. The players are voting, I think, as we speak, Daryl.
0: Yeah, they're voting tonight on a, what might be something everybody agrees on. Basically, MLS came back with a, a more generous counter offer than the offer that they um, put on the table and said, accept this or we might lock you out. Am I right in mm-hmm. thinking that you and Ryan talked about this, right? I remember we listening did. to the mm-hmm. show um, on Monday. So hopefully our listeners are familiar with the details from Monday's show. If you're not, please go back and listen to Taylor and Ryan. Uh, and, I, and credit
1: it. to ryan because i think ryan was the one who was like this feels like it might be a negotiating tactic and that does seem like that's the way, what it ended up being
0: yes all right but to matthew's question because mm-hmm. um, you know things aren't signed it's not definite yet there's still a chance of a lockout right so matthew again asked if there is a lockout players aren't being paid would they be free to sign contracts with teams in other leagues we didn't know so we asked an expert fair to say (laughs) yes um i asked we uh, asked two
1: experts one of them responded we
0: had two experts one of them had their phone handy um (laughs) sam stashka of the athletic and of allocation disorder um i'm guessing everybody who listens to our show by now also listens to allocation disorder because it's in the total soccer show feed and there is valuable information there that you don't want to miss right so sam wants to make clear that um This isn't his final answer and, you know, he's not guaranteeing that this is exactly how it works. But he basically says that technically, yes, players could uh, be free to sign contracts with teams in other leagues if there is a lockout in Major League Soccer. But practically, it would most likely be very difficult and uh, therefore probably not
1: happen. Right.
0: Answered? Answered, well, I asked him for more details, um, yeah. af- after he said that. Um, he essentially said that, um, basically that the practical obstacle is who's going to sign someone right now yeah. in the middle of the pandemic, right? Seasons yeah. in Europe are almost over. Um, everyone's in quarantine. Um, and is anyone going to want that potential legal fight? Um, not to mention the, uh, the traveling. Um, would the player even be allowed to travel from the US to the country where they're going? And is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the, <laughs> the phrase he used. Um, and also, the, essentially, once the lockout ends, then what happens, right? Then there's another potential legal battle because once the lockout ends, then the MLS player is back under contract. And you this isn't Sam's words. This, this is me extrapolating. Then you'd have a player with kind of two active contracts, right? And then you have a situation where somebody's getting sued
1: yeah I think I think where maybe you would get some movement is if it were a long-term thing or if it were very clearly going to be a long-term thing because you have had that in the past where like when the NBA was locked out you had players go to China you had Darren Williams go to Turkey Uh, I think that's happened with the NHL in the past you had players kind of move to different leagues because there was hockey to be played or basketball to be played but I think that was all rooted in number one this is going to last a really long time or number two I am going back to my NBA team as soon as the lockout is over and some teams I think are willing to take that chance because... NBA players are gonna be a a good NBA player, like Darren Williams was at the time, uh, would probably be the best player in the Turkish League. So of course they're gonna want to roll those dice. Whereas with MLS players, no disrespect, you're not gonna get that same level of like, yeah, we'll take you no matter what, because we know you're gonna fit right into our team immediately.
0: And there's also the idea that the NBA is obviously the best basketball league in the entire world. So if you get the once you you can go back to the NBA, there's almost no question of what you're gonna do, right? Everybody around the world, every other basketball league accepts that yeah we get it you're here for a while but as soon as that mm-hmm. this is over you're going back there right and with all due respect to major league soccer they are not the best soccer league in the world right so if a, no. if a player um, is locked out of mls and goes and plays for a mid-table team in france right i could see why they might want to stay with that mid-table team in france afterward and it's a much more complex situation
1: yeah so I, I think that is maybe the way it could potentially happen, but it doesn't seem like it will. And I don't think even if it were going to be like a month long lockout, I doubt anything changes there. Uh, so the final question, do you think a lockout would have long term impacts on players choosing to come to MLS? Uh, my honest answer is I do not know, but I do have reasons for not knowing. Daryl, I'm wondering if you have a more specific answer.
0: I feel like yes. I okay. think it would absolutely. So MLS has never had a lockout, right? Mm-hmm. Um I think, again, this is like an American sports versus global soccer type thing. Because soccer leagues don't generally have lockouts, if MLS had a lockout... It would, be a, it would sort of um, resonate around the world that this is a league that you could go to and then any time like a CBA type thing comes around, you could end up with no league and the entire thing grinds to a halt. It would be very mm. bad for the global reputation of Major League Soccer for there to be a lockout. It doesn't matter if the NHL has a lockout because it's the best hockey league in the world. Same for like all the other major American sports. Oh. They can afford to take the reputation hit. Major League Soccer can't.
1: See, I'm 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 not disagreeing with you saying NHL is the best league in the world. I'm saying that it was devastating to NHL when they had that year-long lockout. Not because players didn't want to play in the NHL. It is the NHL. It's where players will go. It's just that fans lost interest. If you're locked out for a yeah. year, there's other sports to be watched, well, and I think it might not be as. In my mind, the reason why I said I don't know is because MLS is already sort of, to some extent, I think a weird league to Europeans. It's it's the American League, but they play in, the, in a different time. They don't always honor FIFA Windows. Uh, like, there are strange rules about designated players and GAM and TAM. And, like, I think it's already sort of a weird league. So if there were a lockout for a month and then they went back to it. I almost think that would be easily forgotten, but it wouldn't be forgotten by the fans who would maybe not show up or you wouldn't get as many people, so you wouldn't have the money. And I think that could have the impact on being able to bring in players.
0: Oh, because, just, because they'd be a financial hit to the entire league? Exactly. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I could see that as well, right? And again, mm-hmm. things can be two things. I think it could be a reputation hit where... I mean, a year-long lockout obviously is trouble, right? But I think your month-long lockout example is yeah. maybe the one to go with. Um, I, I still think it's a global hit to the rep- reputation of the league, yeah. but it's also... Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge financial problem as well, right? So it's, it, I think it does have a long-term impact that MLS would take a few years to recover from.
1: Yeah, and I think, like, maybe this is a reach, but w- the reason why I'm now like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Because like, I, I feel like I've heard Diego Valeri talk about how, like, playing with, with, with some clubs in Argentina, there is, like, political unrest at times but there's also just sort of like there can be the uncertainty of am I going to get paid or the kind of like like whereas in the United States I think there's this idea that if you go play for an American sports team maybe not other industries in the United States but if you're playing as a professional athlete you sort of know your paycheck is going to arrive you know there is going to be stability that's one thing you don't have to worry about if suddenly where there were just a little inclination that maybe there is going to be like a work stoppage or there will be sort of some instability then maybe it does take that hit as well
0: all right so I think we're more or less in agreement there, right? Yeah, um, I would say and if so. And you, if you're hoping there's not a lockout, which we all are, um, then I think, the, again, the players are voting tonight on Major League Soccer's most recent, from what I understand, more generous counter-proposal. Um, we will probably know by tomorrow morning, uh, that would be, what's tonight, Tuesday? Uh, Wednesday morning or afternoon, if the Major League Soccer players have accept, accept uh, excuse me accepted mm-hmm. Major League Soccer's offer. And then that Orlando tournament could be
1: going ahead. Um, and we should then note, uh, we already have an interview scheduled for tomorrow. It's safe to assume that allocation disorder would we'll discuss uh, if a deal were struck. And then if they don't, even if they do, we will probably end up talking about it at some point later on in the week.
0: Yeah, but Sam and Paul are the, the go-to guys, right? Sam and Paul are the go-to guys for that. I suppose. <laughs> um, you Ready for a question from Matt Cuss? Let's do um, it. Matt Cuss says... Each of you is given a prize of your choice, and the, the prize is one piece of soccer memorabilia. Uh, money's no object, right? There's no budget, no budget constraint.
1: What do you choose, and why? I thought a lot about this question, probably more than any of the other questions <laughs> on this one. And I ran through a long, long list. I have my answer. It is a solitary answer. I want the custom-made Johan Cruyff jersey because he refused to wear the Adidas three-stripes jersey. I don't want the replica. You can buy the replica. I want that jersey from Cruyff from the World Cup. That would be my prized possession for sure.
0: That's brilliant. Uh, can you elaborate on why?
1: I think because I really I love Johan Cruyff. I love like, aspects of his career. I also enjoy him for the reasons why he was a jerk. Like, it's 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 important to like the person for the reasons you like them, but also, like, appreciate their flaws, because then it humanizes them more. And I think, like... His, his flaws are really interesting because they made him who he are, who he is in terms of like being very headstrong and being very confident, and that's why he's a good player, but it's also why I think he had a lot of limitations in his career. All that is to say that the jersey represents that, that it's him refusing to compromise and wear the uh, Dutch sponsor, Adidas. He's, he's a Puma guy, and I'm going to do what I do, and mm-hmm. that's how it's going to be, and you're going to have to kind of do what I want. I'm making it sound more selfish, but it's more of a sort of, I, I am Johan Cruyff, I will do as I please. And that is a thing that I like about him, not from the arrogance standpoint, but from the, I will do as I please and sort of continuously reinvent aspects of play and positional play and, and all of those types of things. So I love Johan Cruyff, I want that jersey. Very nice. Um, I struggled with this. I mm-hmm.
0: what Do you know what I realized answering this question is I am not sentimental in terms of like things. Like I don't really have any mementos or souvenirs that I hold on to. So I found it really hard to think of a thing that I really wanted, and my the first like I had to try really hard, and the first answer I came up with was the Jules Rimet Trophy, the the mm-hmm. w- the World Cup that England won in 1966, and I wondered where is it right now, right? Because the current yeah. World Cup trophy is yep. different because Brazil were given the Jules Rimet Trophy in 1970 yep. after we melted World Cup it down.
1: Is where it is right now three
0: times. That's what I discovered. It was stolen yep. in Rio in 1983. And I don't think there's proof, but it's believed that it was melted down for gold. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah, I want. I, mean, I want. So Matt said, "Without budget, right? I want yeah. to put a team together, go and find every last drop of gold, and recast the Jules Verne Trophy from the <laughs> original
1: gold." That feels like a Thanos level mission.
0: It does. I will snap my fingers, and this
1: will happen. I thought about that one too, and then I sort of oh, felt oh, bad because it was be like. Oh, yeah, obviously. Well, <laughs> I don't think, yes. Well said. <laughs> Worth noting, well said. Um, I, I, thought about that too, but then I would sort of feel bad that I was keeping this like artifact that had been long lost to history just like in my cupboard. <laughs> I would feel sort of bad about that, but not that bad. Not that bad.
0: i am also imagine like it's going to be on someone's wedding ring is going to contain like one drop of gold. So we're going to have to be chipping away at someone's wedding ring just a little bit to get that piece. And then other pieces could be in like coins. We'd have to like take that. It, it, this could be a complicated process.
1: Do do, do you, do you think gold is liquid? It It is when you melt it. Okay, there we go. <laughs> it's like a, a drop of gold? <laughs> oh, I, I what like you're saying. it. Yeah. Each ring has one drop of gold added to it, and now it's gold. So what do you call it if you... It's, no, I think you're probably right. It was just a it was form, just thing.
0: Yeah. I don't know. An ingot? I don't know. I don't know how this works. <laughs> um, the only two other things I could think of, if not yeah. um, the Jules Romay trophy, um, yeah. is like a game-worn jersey... From mm-hmm. like goals that I really enjoyed, matches that I really enjoyed, so I wouldn't mind having Gaza's jersey from the yeah. Euro '96 game at Wembley against Scotland, where he lifted the ball over Colin Hendry's head and then volleyed it in the in the bottom corner. Um, so I could I could go for that jersey. And then- you are.
1: I'm going to inter- interrupt you to say you are very like you are correct in that you are not like like emotional or like sentimental. But <laughs> you're a robot, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, like you are correct in, in the way you were saying. Like you don't really like like this trinket, and and you're not a hoarder. You don't have the hoarder inclination that say your co-host does. I definitely <laughs> do. Um, but you do have a, like I am kind of afraid to say negative things about Gaza around you <laughs> for fear that you might punch me for it. That's that is the only player I think that consistently. Not makes you emotional, but you have a very big soft spot for. And yeah, I think you would. I I wish I could find a way to get you a Gaza jersey from a game because uh, I think it would probably make you cry. And I'm good with that.
0: (laughs) The other option would be a Steve Ball jersey Mm
1: -hmm. from
0: the 87 88 season for Wolves when he scored 52 goals.
1: Uh, Was he a defender as well? Very much not. Okay, who do I always forget when you said they were your favourite player because it's the old quote of like 70% of the world is covered by water, the other 30% is covered by... Paul McGrath. There it is, thank you. I always get those two confused. (laughs) I don't know why, but I do.
0: Um, Yeah, watch Paul McGrath's performance for Ireland against Italy at the 1994
1: Mm -hmm. World Cup. Uh, I'll have that jersey as well. uh, Throw that in there, Matt. All right, all three of them. Let's make it happen. (laughs)
0: So there we go. That's, that's all I could think of. The Jules May Trophy, which is impossible, and then maybe mm. those three jerseys. I assume Matt is just going to collect these things and mail them to us?
1: I would hope so. Yeah. My other option was a bottle of wine from, from Sir Alex Ferguson. Huh. I, would, I think I would enjoy that since the man takes wine seriously. If he gave me like a good bottle, I hope it wouldn't be a trash bottle because that's what he thinks of me. I'm a trash person.
0: Oh, so he doesn't have a vineyard, but he's like a, a connoisseur, right?
1: I wouldn't be surprised if he he has a vineyard. I mean, he is a knight, after all, and he does own horse races.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how how well the the wine grapes... Race horses. He does
1: not own a horse race. My bad.
0: (laughs) Ready for the next question? I suppose. It's the final question. It's from Ira Jersey, our old friend Ira Jersey. Um, Ira asks, if you were to hire a coach for your men's team, assuming you're the owner slash players, what would be the four or five key elements you would look for? And when Mm. we got this question, Taylor, I think I mentioned to you that this might not be a completely hypothetical theoretical question right because we do know that ira is putting together um a u23 men's team in central new jersey
1: yeah so maybe maybe we're helping we're consultants and if so uh where's our cut ira i mean i i assume it's on the way
0: it's in the envelope next to uh matt cuss's so yeah if we if you were hiring are
1: you expecting your jerseys in an envelope
0: only, only if the Jules Romain thing
1: can't be figured out. Yeah, I like it. I've now nitpicked you on liquid gold and envelopes. I'm going to stop now. Let's <laughs> answer the question.
0: So yeah, so this is I. I took this to be a somewhat genuine question mm-hmm. of a thing that might be happening, right? So this isn't like yeah. hire Jurgen Klopp. This is like what type of person would you would you be looking to? Would do you think Ira should be looking to hire for a men's team, mm-hmm. or what type of person would we be hiring for a men's team if we could if we could list the elements?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think. As we learned from our illustrious mayor, uh, it's good to have a plan uh, or, as we learned from him, not having a plan. And I think that's the first thing I would want is a coach who has a specific vision for how they want the team to play because – Maybe it's not based on the like the talent that's there now, because they probably don't even know the talent, especially if it's in a lower-level division. You're not really going to know from season to season. But if you have a coach who has an idea for how they want to play, has a philosophy, and believes in that philosophy, I think that's a major step towards you know that they're going to be playing a certain style of soccer that can then be adjusted. And that's the second part, is that if they have... like, I almost feel like if they have an answer to every single question, that makes me not trust them. Because it means that they're sort of like figuring it out on the fly and i would want to hear like well i'm not sure how i would deal with that but it maybe would be like this but maybe like that that's a thing we could find out like i would want that sort of honesty of i'm not sure but i want to find out and if you believe the vision and you believe the kind of plan then i think it's okay to not know some of the answers
0: here are two of the points that i listed i've got basically got four or five bullet points Mm -hmm. one is an identifiable style but not a rigid Mm -hmm. adherence to it so i think that that echoes what you said you are. And the fourth on the list is honesty, not someone yeah. who just tells you what you want to hear. Yes. So we yeah. are we are very <laughs> yeah. much on the same page in finding our coach here.
1: Daryl, you, you haven't gotten yet to uh, when in The Office... Daryl is watching The Office, by the way, folks. Uh, we, we should have sounded The Office klaxon so that people know that he's into <laughs> it. Uh, uh, there's a character named Nellie who's the, uh, the red-headed English actress that you know.
0: Red-headed Do you remember her name? English accent. Oh, actress, yes. Um, She was... Uh in Doctor oh, Who Catherine do Tate. Catherine Tate.
1: Thank you. Uh she she comes in and she's like, get rid of all the cubicles. Like like no walls, all transparency. And like, we don't have cubicles. And she's like, scratch that. Out of cubicles. Walls everywhere. <laughs> and it's just like if they bail immediately on their plan, you know right there, like, never mind. That's not gonna work for us.
0: <laughs> so adding to my list or our list, mm. um, I would want someone with genuine energy and enthusiasm. Because I feel, I feel yeah. like real enthusiasm is infectious and it also makes training, uh, fun. It makes training unpredictable and it also, it really communicates something to the crowd, right? If you've got a coach mm-hmm. who is visibly enthusiastic, I think, especially in lower league soccer, that goes across really well and gives like match day and gives people connected to or people observing the team. It gives off an aura and energy
1: and enthusiasm is always a really good aura to give off. Then that's a really good answer, Daryl, because I was thinking about like we've been around like been in press conferences and stuff with with coaches who don't have that approach. Like Louis van Gaal, Alex Ferguson, Jose Mourinho don't really have that approach, but they're able to not because they're so established that people will play for them and they have the philosophy in the background. But you're absolutely right that like at a lower level or in an unproven situation, you probably do want somebody who's a little bit younger, who's going to appeal to the crowd, but is also going to bring that energy and he'll have a connection to the players and a consistent connection at that. I think that's a really good shout. You want that energy for sure.
0: The only caveat I'd add to what you just said is they don't have to literally be younger but I would like them to have a youthful, like, sense of wonder. And the man I'm I thinking of—children, children, of, children
1: coaches—that's what I'm asking
0: The man I'm thinking of is Bobby Robson. Um, I watched the documentary mm-hmm. that Ryan Bailey had recommended. I think it's called More Than a Manager, um, and it really is. Bobby Robson's like uh, towards the end of the documentary, a very old man who is still like a child. He's so excited about soccer every single day. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Okay. I, I think I think I like that energy. So as long as they're sort of bringing the enthusiasm, that's that's could be described as infectious. Yes. Then I, I think that works. Infectious I will enthusiasm. say I have not seen the movie Boss Baby. I know Alex <laughs> uh, Alec uh, Baldwin is the the voice of Boss Baby, and I do feel like we should pitch a script Boss Baby to Coach Baby. And I would pay. I feel like I, I would pay money to see uh, animatro- or like animated baby Alec Baldwin coaching a soccer team. I think I'm in on that.
0: I want uh, Beck Bennett to play the the baby. <laughs> is that his name I forgot the correct name there?
1: <laughs> that's such a good show <laughs> oh man I think of I think of we're off on a tangent but that's how it goes when we've uh, reached the pl- hour plus mark uh, uh, you know the sketch where he's meeting Jason Momoa who's his girlfriend's father yes, have you seen that one yes that's exactly what I think of I'd be like come and find me <laughs> <laughs> alright anyway sorry I distracted so uh, that that's in one energy for you what was your fourth one
0: uh, man manager Someone who, yeah. um, mm-hmm. their whole thing is that they can connect with players, listen to what they need and help them succeed. I think there's a really thin line between a sort of being one of the lads type coach where you don't really have respect. You're popular, but you don't have respect. And there's like a disciplinarian at the other end, like a Fabio Capello type. Um, but I think there's a really nice middle ground. And I think it, I think Gareth Southgate lives in that middle ground. I think Bud Bradley lives in that middle ground mm-hmm. where you are the authority figure, but you also are very focused um, on what each individual player needs, right? So a man-manager right. in that sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a great answer. Um, and then I would add to that, like a man-manager, a person with good energy, you can sort of have the expectation that they will be good in press conferences, good in front of the media, good in the community. But I do think that is of fundamental importance, especially if you're starting a new team or if you are in a lower level. Even if the person is a genius and is an amazing coach, if they are very quiet and reserved and aren't going to interact with the fans or aren't going to go out and do sort of fan engagement stuff, I think that is an important point at a practical level that yeah. you want somebody who can bring people in and make people feel connected to the team and to the players and to the staff and I think that is definitely something to be considered as well yeah someone
0: who's not socially awkward right someone who would walk into i don't know if I is envisioning having like you know team offices someone mm-hmm. who Everyone's genuinely happy when they turn up and you see them in the office. Not everyone's like, oh, no, don't come and talk to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. I've had a, If they're I've an had energy vampire, don't hire them. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, my, my, the fifth point I added, um, I'm probably just influenced by the way we started today's show. But I think I would argue in times like these, you would want someone who can speak clearly about social justice in a Steve Kerr or mm-hmm. Greg Popovich kind of way.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. That is a a thing that you need to sort of incorporate into your planning. And I think it goes back to the very beginning of this show, that that needs to be a thing that I think stays front and center in our minds. And I think, yeah, having a coach who's engaged in that way certainly helps that be the case.
0: And I honestly don't watch much basketball, but I know who Greg Popovich is because every time he speaks, I'm sort of like, this is a pretty wise man. I'm going to listen to what he says.
1: I did love that. I think I am correct in saying the Spurs did not put out a statement officially but it's because Greg Popovich is both the coach and I believe the GM or the president of the Spurs and he put out a statement and they're like yeah he speaks for us everybody knows that that's all it took
0: <laughs> alright anything else Tyler, before we wrap it up like what else have we got coming up on the Total Soccer Show in the very near future
1: I would say that if Ira is going to hire somebody my my final point would be hire Greg Popovich I feel like that could go really well I don't know if you will be able to get him I think he's pretty happy in San Antonio but you never know I say go for it and see what happens <laughs>
0: You got to try, right? You got to try.
1: Yeah, I think you do. Or we don't know I, I, if you
0: like to understand soccer either, but that that's probably secondary.
1: I don't know if Greg Popovich likes anything, but I'm sure he'd be—he'd uh, give it a go. Why not? Um, uh, coming up this week, as I said, we've got the episode of Allocation Disorder, which we expect we'll talk about MLS and the hopeful breakthrough and non-lockout news. Uh, we do have an interview, as I said, uh, coming up tomorrow. That is with Lutz Fenningsdil hey. of Fortuna Dusseldorf and the international feed. But in this country, it's on Fox. Uh, he's doing some commentary for the Bundesliga and running Fortuna Dusseldorf simultaneously.
0: And is a fascinating man to talk to, right? Like we—we we mm. met him. Pretty briefly, well, no, maybe it was actually a decently long meeting, right? And um, at the uh, the Fortuna Düsseldorf offices as part of our Bundesliga visit, I haven't heard this interview. I'm really looking forward to listening to it. Um, I hope I, w- I hope I've- I'm not mistaken, Taylor. Don't let me down.
1: Uh, n- no, no, you, you, you will, you will enjoy. Lutz, Lutz is fascinating and we hope to continue to have him on uh, pretty regularly because he's, he's great and he's really honest and he's pretty frank and uh, that was certainly great. I want to s- emphasize when we met him in Germany, I didn't talk about this in the interview. It's a it's a little thing, but it's a thing that will forever stand out in my mind. Is we we got very polished, professional presentations a lot of the time when we were in Germany. Lutz came in, we're all sitting in kind of like a big circle in this one room. He comes in, he gets a non-rolly chair, he sits down, he's like, Yes, questions? And then if Daryl would ask one, say Daryl's sitting on the other side of the room, Lutz would like pick the chair up, turn and like sit and stare directly at Daryl, and the next question he would pick the chair up and turn, and it was just that kind of like frenetic energy of like I want to enter everything, I want to do everything, and now I'm on my way. And he was like out the door really fast. It was it was just such a like good introduction to him. It did help me be a little bit more prepared for this interview as well.
0: <laughs> Two words I would use to describe Lich deal genuine enthusiasm. Yes, yes. <laughs>
1: you will get no argument for me, my friend. So that's that's that, and then we will have another installment of the International Champions Cup of History, sponsored, sponsored by Bill and Ted. Face the music. <laughs>
0: I, be- I believe it is. Yeah, Bill and
1: Ted with the question face mark the music. as well,
0: or as Bobby Warshaw calls them, Ted and Bill. I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to guess that he hasn't either. Either he was messing with you, or he hasn't seen the movie.
1: Either one equally likely. I'm going hasn't seen the movie, yeah. Me too. or doesn't care because Bobby sometimes has that vibe of like I don't I don't see movies. Movies aren't soccer. Movies don't inform my knowledge. <laughs> also, uh, this week uh, there's going to be I love Bobby so
0: much. The th- yeah, there's going to be the third chapter um, mm-hmm. of uh, TSS Book Club with myself and former Athletic Soccer editor, George Qureshi. Um, I hope he'll talk to me um, about his decision to leave the Athletic, worth adding, on very, very, very uh, good terms, as I understand Mm -hmm. it. But George is no longer the editor at uh, the Athletic Soccer.
1: Is he still going to talk to you, even after you threaten him onto it? I hope so.
0: I hope so. Okay.
1: All right. I hope so, too. I hope (laughs) so, too. But we'll be
0: reading uh, the David Goldblatt book, The Age of Football. This this month's chapter, because it's been a month since we did the last chapter, will be all about South American soccer in the 21st century. I believe the chapter title is From the Left Wing. You clever man. Right. You clever man, David Goldblatt, I, with your chapter I mean, title.
1: I'm, I am refusing to participate because when we first proposed the idea of the book club, I wanted to do the fan's guide to Sex in the City, and nobody was on board. Hey, so you, I am I'm boycotting. Here's how I know you're joking. If you had really suggested
0: uh-huh. that, I would have been 100% in.
1: I I, Yeah. Also, does that exist? Because if so, I'm proud of myself and ashamed of myself simultaneously.
0: (laughs) The guide to Sex in the City is you can be apparently a freelance writer in Manhattan and have a nice apartment.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You can write one column a week that appears to be 500 words and you get paid $200,000 a year.
0: It got me wondering. Maybe more. <laughs> you just have to wonder things um, occasionally. I do love Sex in the City, by the way. I think it's a really, really good show. That's my, my cultural recommendation this week is Sex in the City. But let's close like, like we always do, Taylor. What have you been watching the last couple of days?
1: I, I mentioned Working Moms last time. I finished that the other day. I've been revisiting uh, Narcos. Narcos Mexico Season 2 was very, very good. Though, Daryl, I know you're not as big of a fan, uh, but I did enjoy I it that one. Actually, I haven't seen it,
0: so I'm not going to pass judgment either Okay, way. yeah.
1: No, you don't have to. I'm trying to think what else I've been watching. Why why don't I start while I start for time, Daryl? Why don't you say what you've been watching?
0: All right, the two things we've watched recently. um, We watched The Princess Bride again, which is kind of like a -hmm. a comfort viewing, right? But it had been a long time, so there was still enough of it was surprising because it had been so long. Fully recommend that. It's on Disney Plus. And then this is a Daryl solo adventure. I've been watching Dark on netflix i'm about two or, oh, yeah how's that I'm two or three years late to the party <laughs> but it's like a, a german version of stranger things um it it's pretty dark some bad things happen uh, <laughs> but it involves like time travel and it's like, like a weird sci-fi element to it um so, so lost? yeah so I'm, I'm all in on dark
1: okay is it better than lost or is it roughly the same
0: it's i mean i like lost as well so it's just good in a different way okay yeah
1: all right all right. I'll let that slide. That's fine. <laughs> All
0: right. Then, Taylor, I will say thank you for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Right back at you, buddy.
0: Listeners, thank you. Oh, did I come back to you for your extra thing you were watching?
1: Well, what I was going to say was kind of a bummer. So it's up to you. as to. I mean, I feel like people have stuck with us this long that like they're going to stick with me. Or maybe they'll stick with us. I'm not sure. Do we want to end on a slightly bummer note? Listeners, thank you for there listening. We
0: and we will talk to you again very soon. <laughs>